John Calvin, for some, he's a person they love to death. For others, they hate him to death. What about you? Let me ask you a question. How many here know who John Calvin is? Well, there's a good number, but there's a good number that don't know, and hopefully you'll be impressed with one of the fathers of the Presbyterian faith today. Who was John Calvin? Why is he so important to the church, especially to us Presbyterians? What did Calvin believe? And how and what can we learn from Calvin's life today to impact us and help us at Bel Air make Los Angeles the greatest city for Christ? Well, I hope to answer some of these questions this morning for you. And as we celebrate Calvin's 500th birthday this year, the drama team answers some of these questions too. So sit back and let's celebrate Calvin's birthday. Welcome back to the 500th birthday roast of John Calvin. And here's our next celebrity roaster, Cab Guyman. Hey, hey, thank you very much. Great to be here. <laughs> Mainly because I've been listening to the lame bozos they had on before me, and I gotta say, maybe instituting a vow of silence wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> Come on, I love them. But St. Francis, what a sissy. Get it? St. Francis of a sissy. Hello? Is this thing on? Hello? Hello? But I gotta tell you, we're all here for Calvin. Calvin, good buddy. I didn't recognize you without your imaginary stuffed tiger, Hobbs. <laughs> We're here to celebrate your 500th birthday. 500 years old. And what do you get? A rubber chicken dinner that makes Luther's diet of worms look good. <laughs> hey, a hand for Martin Luther, the guy that started the whole mess. I better watch out for him. If he doesn't like my routine, he'll nail 99 complaints to the wall. But look what you started. Calvin hears your ideas, gets hot and bothered, and goes off to apply your reforms, creating Calvinism. <laughs> hey, thanks for naming it after yourself, good buddy. I guess in your world, pride goeth before a new religion. <laughs> and does this seem fair to anybody? From Calvin, we get the French Huguenots, the Puritans, and the Presbyterians, which means Calvin gets France, the British Isles, Korea, and most of the United States. And what does Luther get? Minnesota? Ah! I hope you like cold cheese, Luther. Calvin's an author as well, outlining the Reformed faith with Institutes of the Christian Religion. Ooh, now there's a barn burner of a title. Let me give you some advice. Change it to Harry Potter and the Institutes of the Christian Religion. It'll sell like hotcakes. One of your followers is here. Hey, give it up for John Knox, the guy who founded the Presbyterians in Scotland. Speaking of Knox, Calvin's gotten a bad rap because at first he was opposed to music and worship while Luther had all kinds of popular songs. But let's be fair, Luther was getting his hymns from popular bar tunes while all Calvin had was Knox and his bagpipes. <laughs> this is why the Scots invented golf, ladies and gentlemen, to get as far away from that sound as possible. Yeah, it's been 500 years of division, but look at us now. We can all get along. <laughs> hey, let's all give it up for that old troublemaker. Happy birthday, John Calvin! <laughs> you guys validate? I don't want people parking. <laughs>
Wow, how do I follow that? John Calvin was born July 10th, 1509, 500 years ago. So why are Presbyterians around the world celebrating this old man's birthday? I mean, come on, he's 500 years. Well, I'm glad you asked. Calvin has directly and indirectly impacted the church and nations throughout the world over these 500 years. Some would say that Calvin is one of the most brilliant theologians and pastors in church history. Pastor Mark and the other pastors have done an excellent job teaching us the significance of the church through each century and how we, listen, how we can learn from our brothers and sisters from the past for the very purpose of making a difference in the present and in our future. Amen? Recently, Pastor Mark has taught us about the 16th century and the great reformation of the church and the pivotal point in the history of the church in the world. We've learned about the major catalyst of the Reformation, Martin Luther. We've learned a little bit about Zwingli and some about John Calvin. And although we're taking a quick step back in our series, go back to the 16th century to learn about Calvin, Pastor Mark has taught us the major fundamentals of the Protestant Reformation teaching known as the five solas. And I want us to review those briefly. And as we come to learn more about John Calvin, the five solas were all foundational for his life in ministry. The first sola is sola scriptura, scripture alone, the authority and supremacy of scripture. The reformers, including Calvin, came to realize that the scriptures are the the word of God and that this is what we should build our life on. That the authority of life and practice is founded in the Word of God, not in the authority of the church. And that was radical back then. Very similar today. The Word of God is being pushed aside for popular psychology. And the Lord wants us to get back to sola scriptura. The second sola is sola Christus. Christ alone. The only way to salvation is through Christ, not through the church. Not through doing certain works that the church tells you to do, but falling before the mercy seat of God and relying on the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Christ alone was foundational to the teachings of the reformers. The third is sola gratia, Grace alone. Grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And grace is God's unmerited favor. It's nothing that we can do. And the reformers, including Calvin, held to this truth. The fourth is sola fide. Faith alone. Faith alone. The means of appropriation of salvation is through the gift of faith that the Holy Spirit gives each one to receive the work of Christ on the cross, to receive the forgiveness of sin, and to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, the fifth, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. The purpose of living, according to the reformers, 
And according to the Westminster Confession, the purpose of living is to glorify God with our entire life, with all of our gifts, all of our resources, to glorify God in all that we say and do. And as we've discovered Martin Luther and Zwingli, along with many others, such as Martin Bootser, Calvin's mentor, and others of the first-generation reformers, these reformers laid the foundation of the five solas. But it was John Calvin and the second-generation reformers that built upon these five solas. It was Calvin that used uh, the Word of God and to teach on these five solas in which he clarified and expounded them so that we come to understand sound theology with the power of the Spirit and the grace of God. So John Calvin built upon the foundation, but he expounded that in his works and in his life and teaching. So who was John Calvin and what did he believe? Well, I'm glad you asked. When I was teaching in seminary, I taught a course on the Reformation, a 10-week course, and spent three of those lectures on John Calvin and what he believed. And so for the next nine hours, we're going to be talking about John Calvin and learning uh, what he believed so you can go home and say, yes, I know Calvin now. You see, this morning... We could learn a lot of facts and statistics about this great man of the 16th century. Statistics such as he was a Frenchman, born in Noyne, France, that he was educated in philosophy, theology, law, and humanism in Paris, Orleans, and Bourges. That he was suddenly converted, we don't know the exact date, between 1533 and 1534 that he pastored and helped reform the city-state of Geneva for uh, a year and a half, 1536 to 1538, and was expelled because he refused to serve communion to the city officials because they were trying to control the church instead of the pastors. And then he went to Strasbourg to pastor. And then for some reason, in 1541, he returned to Geneva And we'll learn more about that in a moment. I could tell you more facts that he was married in 1540 to a widow that had two children. He he had a child his own, but that child died at, at birth or shortly after birth. His wife died in 1549, and he it grieved his heart because his helpmate for life was taken. In 1536, John Calvin wrote the first edition of the great Christian institutes, the institutes of the Christian religion. Now, the title is too long for, you, for me to read here, but it, the first edition was about 250 pages. The final edition is four books, about 1,200 pages. So he, he did this, but this is foundational in understanding who Calvin is and understanding our Presbyterian heritage. I could continue on that in 1553, Calvin participated in the execution of an heretic, Michael Servetus, who was burned at the stake in Geneva. And this murderous act has plagued Calvin ever since. But did you know that he preached over 4,000 sermons? 
five ser- different sermons a week. He also taught four, three to four lectures a week on top of that. He wrote a commentary on almost every book of the Bible and numerous tracts and theological treaties and thousands, actually 11 volumes of letters. And along with all the teaching and writing that this man was doing and pastoring, he was very sickly. He suffered from kidney and gallstones, suffered from gout, intestinal disease, arthritis, asthma, intense headaches, and other ailments that I'm not going to go and bore you about. And finally, in 1564, May 27th, he went to be with the Lord. But going over all these facts and statistics would be boring and really not reveal much about John Calvin. And there's really not time to really get into his theology today, although I'll share a little bit of of that with you. For example, uh, Calvin is so much more than the doctrine of predestination. I mean, he taught that, but that was not the foundation of his life and teaching. It's been distorted in many ways as well. Calvin's focus was truly on the five solas, especially the glory of God, which includes the wonderful doctrine of the sovereignty of Almighty God. Many of the songs we worshiped, sang and worship today are about the glory of God and the worship of God. And Calvin's heart was to always glorify God and to let people understand that the massive, glorious King of kings and the Lord of lords, so other that you couldn't really know him, once and wanted to come to know you in an intimate way. He was an excellent expositor of Scripture as revealed in his sermons and more so in his commentaries, in which he laid the foundation for modern biblical exposition. exposition. And as one reads and study Calvin, studies Calvin's, one realizes that he is known as a theologian of the Holy Spirit. Who knew that? You think he's just a boring old chap. He loved God. And he, he, he wrote more about the Holy Spirit in his writings than any other reformer. Because he, he began to understand through the revelation of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit not just, did not only preserve the universe, was a part of the creation. Not creation, but created the universe. This same Holy Spirit comes down and convicts us of sin, draws us, brings us to repentance, reveals to us our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, gives us the gift of faith, brings us into faith, and then fills us with many gifts to give back to Him. Calvin writes so much about the Holy Spirit that I did my Ph.D. on that topic. And I could talk and talk for hours on it, but I won't. Calvin believed that God was involved in all aspects of life. In government, the sciences, the arts, philosophy, education, family, every sphere of life, God was involved And it was the believer's responsibility to use his gifts or her gifts to transform his or her area of influence. 
Pastor Kim expounded on this some last week. So when we read his foundational works, the Institutes, we discover his theological concepts that he believed were biblically based and extremely insightful and thorough dealing with the major issues of the 16th century. However, in just touching on a minute portion of his beliefs and teachings, I believe we discover the heart of John Calvin when we reveal his motto and his seal. Let me just pause for a second. Most people don't have a life verse or a life motto or a seal. And I want to encourage you this day to really seek the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, show me what is the life verse? What is that verse that I can build my life upon for me, for my family? And then, Lord, give me a motto, a life motto. Recently, last year in, in uh, Maria's uh, second grade, we had to, she had a project and we had to make a family crest and put a family motto. And it was wonderful to pray about it as a family, to talk about it, and then write a family motto out. Well, what is your motto? And then what is a seal, a, a, a crest? Us from the Presbyterian and, and uh, Scottish and English background, we love our heritage and we have our crests and you know it's the shield and it has usually a sword and a flag and all these wonderful things to show strength but we also have that motto well, what is yours if you don't have one I want to challenge you encourage you to ask the Lord give me a verse my life verse is Philippians 3 10 through 14 and it's changed my life and it's kept me grounded and rooted even when I have gone through some very difficult times. Well, we get to know people through their life verses. We get to know people through their mottos and their, their seals. And in Calvin's time, Calvin had a powerful motto. My heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Another motto attributed to him was very similar. Promptly and sincerely in the service to God. And his seal, as one Calvin scholar described it, Calvin's wholehearted commitment to God was symbolized in his seal he adopted for himself. A flaming heart and the palm of an extended hand offered up to Almighty God. My heart I offer to you, O oh Lord, promptly and sincerely. You learn a lot about a man, a person that wants to offer his whole being to the creator of the universe.